before we enter into a time of reading God's Word and then expounding upon that Word, I wanted to give you a quick update on the work which my wife and I have been called to, and that is planting Central Presbyterian Church in Little Rock. Um, one of the things that we say in our church is like our mission. What is our mission? Our mission is to love Little Rock with the gospel for the glory of God. And um, truth be told, it's, been, it's taken a while for some of the people who are part of our, um, our church in the last 15 months to, to embrace that. In fact, it's taken me some time to truly embrace that. But one of the things that I've been most encouraged by of late is the way that the people who are coming to our church are embracing that. And even the people that are leaving us, because people come and people go. It's painful. But when they leave and they talk to me about why they leave, it's always encouraging to me to hear what we are about and that they can't live up to that. It's hard, but it's encouraging. Um, One of the things that I've been convicted of of late is a a sense of prayerlessness, which is um, because of my self-reliance and reliance on my own gifts and abilities and things like that. And so one of the things that I just ask um, from you um, in prayer for us as a church is two things. That we know the love of God. Because um, in knowing the love of God and you offering us up into prayers, and asking God to give us His love and the ways that He gives us His love, we will be moved to love Little Rock. And so I'd ask that you'd open, ask the Father to open our hearts to receive His love. The second thing is that we would actually see the needs in our community, that is to love our community, that we continue to do this, that we'd see the needs of our neighbors all around us, whether they be wealthy or poor, Um, white or black. Would you pray for us as we seek to meet those needs? The last thing that I not only ask you to pray about, but invite you to be a part of, is one of the needs that I've I've seen from the the day I moved here to Little Rock is the divide that that exists between black and white in Little Rock. I I can't speak for Sherwood in North Little Rock. but The divide that exists between white and black in Little Rock. As many of you know, there's an interstate, 630, that divides the town racially. And um, there was a sweet boy in December who was killed in the black community. And one of the black community leaders was on the news talking about uh, the divide that exists. And out of of faith, I just reached out to him and said, "I, I see the divide. Can we meet? And so we started meeting two weeks ago. And out of that meeting came an interracial, inter, interdenominational service that they asked me to preach at. And so, um, I'd ask your prayers for this service because, you know, I don't think there's going to be great change that occurs, but what I do think is going to come is that there are going to be great bridges built over that interstate for relationships and communication um, to, to begin to happen between white churches and black churches, that, that, that our city would reflect the kingdom of God. So I pray, I'd ask you to pray for us as we do that, and as we take a step of faith in doing something that is so wild and bizarre and out of my comfort zone, truly. And lastly, I'd invite you to be a part of that. March 5th, at the Greater Trinity Church of God, which is three blocks south of Central High School, at 6 p.m., we'll be having this service. We'll be worshiping God. It'll be a, a mixed worship, so there'll be, a, I think, a choir, and then we'll have my worship band doing two songs, and then I'll be preaching from God's Word. 
And then we're going to spend time together as a community praying for the needs of our, our community and our city. And I'd love for you to be a part of that. We definitely see this as a multi-church function. That's the goal. We, we, don't, we don't see it like Central is not the, the, is not the Savior. We already have a Savior, and that's in Jesus. And so if we can come together as churches reflecting the kingdom of God, I do think that we can begin to reflect the kingdom of God in our city. And so we're going to start, and we're going to do that. So you're, I'd love for you to be there. Um, yeah, it's in the black community. Yeah, it's in a community that might feel awkward. Uh, but Jesus came from heaven to earth. And that's what we're called to do as well. And so I invite you to, to do that. So please do pray for us. All right. Now you can stand as we read from God's Word from Psalm 8. Hear the reading from God's Word. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes, to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You may be seated. Let me pray. Lord, as we come before your word, I pray that you would open our hearts, soften our wills, that not only we might hear your truth, but we would receive your love. Lord, more than anything, I do ask that we become more and more dependent upon you and that, that through the preaching of your word, you would accomplish this. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Love. Love and prayer. Love. One of the silliest shows on television right now is a show called The Bachelor. It's silly because one, of, one man gets to date 25 women over six weeks in hopes of finding the one. After each show, a few girls are eliminated because they don't get roses. And eventually, the 25 girls gets limited down to three or four. And what happens when it gets eliminated down to three or four is the girls start to feel something in their heart. And they'll, they'll draw this out on the show, and the girls will start saying things like, I think I love him. I think I love him. I, I don't know, I don't know. And then what they'll do is at the end of the show, the girl will look at the guy. And mind you, they've known each other for four weeks, and there's been three other girls dating this guy at the same time, okay? They'll look at him, and they'll say, I love you. <laughs> And there's this great moment, and there's an embrace. I love you. What? You've known him for three weeks, four weeks at most. You've been on two dates. You love him? Oh, oh honey. You see? It's a silly show. It's a kind of a joke, but the truth is, we get love wrong all the time. We're just like these girls on The Bachelor saying, I love this, I love that. I love pound cake. Oh, I love milkshakes before bed. 
you know, we know in our hearts that this isn't love. Is that really love? Is that a love of scripture? I don't know. But I know it's not love. It's probably more like, I like. I like you. Those girls might like the guys. I just don't think that they can say love. You might like pound cake, milkshakes before bed, but love? Here's the thing. We can't get love wrong. We can't just go around throwing the word love around like it's just some word we use and all the time. We can't get love wrong. In the Gospels, we encounter a story between Jesus and a lawyer. The lawyer approaches Jesus and asks him this question. How does one, how does one obtain eternal life? In hearing this, Jesus responds to him, what is written in the law? The lawyer says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus responds, you're correct. Do this, and you will live. You see, to Jesus, loving and love is a life and death matter. We cannot get it wrong. But so often, we do. We often misunderstand and properly, or improperly apply what it means to love. And this is why the lawyer responds to Jesus again. He, he wasn't satisfied with what Jesus uh, gave him. He's trying, to, he's trying to trick him. And so he asked Jesus the, another question. Who then is my neighbor? And then Jesus tells the famous story of the Good Samaritan that many of us know. As you recall, a priest and a Levite come across a man who's half dead, lying on the side of the road. And the priest and the Levite, men of God, those who are supposedly supposed to love God and love neighbor, pass by. And yet, they did pass by, not loving their neighbor. But a Samaritan saw this man in great need, got off his animal, and tended to the needs of this man who was half dead and beaten. He took care of him. He spent his money and went out of his way to meet his needs. There's a lot of principles from that story, and that's not what we're preaching on, but one of the principles that I wanted to draw to you today, especially as it applies to love, is this. And I think it's a principle we can learn from that story. What is love? What does it mean to love your neighbor? To love your neighbor and to truly love something means this. Love is a process of meeting needs. Love is a process of meeting needs. We can't get love wrong. It is a life and death situation. How are you doing meeting the needs of your neighbor, your loved one? Do you, like the priest and the Levite, pass by as you see those in need? Love. Prayer. This morning we're going to be looking at the relationship that exists between love and prayer. Richard Foster, a theologian and a man of God, says this, if we truly love people, we will desire for them far more than it is within our power to give them. And this will lead us to prayer. Let me put this in my own words. If love is a process of meeting needs, then you will realize that there are needs that you cannot meet, and you will re realize that there are needs you weren't intended to meet. But because you love someone or something, you will desire for those needs to be met and you will pray for them.
You will pray for the needs to be met by God. You see, if you truly love, you will pray. This morning, my desire is that you come to an understanding that love and prayer are intimately connected and that you begin to love your neighbor well by praying for them. And so I've got a question for you. How's your prayer life? Your intercessory prayer life. How are you doing praying for your neighbor, your family, your loved ones? You see, I think many of us have a problem. We are often slow to pray, if pray at all. And if we don't pray, guess what? We don't love. And as what Jesus says, if we don't love, we've got a serious, serious problem. Enter Psalm 8. Psalm 8 is a prayer in and of itself, but it is a prayer that moves us and encourages us to pray because it does this by reminding us that we can't meet every need of our loved ones. It also reminds us that God can meet every need. And it does this by reminding us that prayer is the way that God meets needs. So three things off of Psalm 8 as it pertains to love and prayer. We pray because we can't meet every need. We pray because God can meet every need. We pray because it is the one of the ways that God meets needs. Let's dive in. First, we pray because we can't meet every need. At the heart of Psalm 8, David reflects on just how incredible humans are. Look at verse 5. David is speaking about how amazing humans are. God, you have made him, that is humans, a little lower than the heavenly beings, crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep, oxen, beasts of the field, birds of the heaven, fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. Humans are incredible creatures. You are an incredible being. In the midst of your DNA is, is incredible power, creativity, and the ability to have dominion over your family, your businesses, your schools, your world. You are an incredible being. And the Bible does not skirt from that. But I don't need to tell you that. I don't need to tell you that because in, the midst of, in, in your pocket right now is a phone that can connect you with people on the other side of the world. And how was that phone created? It was created by human beings, by men and women who were wise and smart and could craft this, this incredible device where you could see people in Southeast Asia like that. I mean, on the east side of Little Rock is the airport. And at that airport, did you know you could get to Atlanta in less than an hour? To our minds, it's not that incredible, but when you're driving in a car for nine hours with two kids to Atlanta, something like that seems absolutely incredible. Can you believe it? We can get here in less than an hour? And how, was, how, how were airplanes made? Well, the Wright brothers. We know that. We can trace it back to that, and it's so on and so forth. By the power of men and women, we've created things to meet our needs. Amazing things. One last story, one example, and it's silly. And it kind of shows my childishness. Um, from time to time, um, I like to imagine what it would be like to travel in time. And if I were able to travel in time, well, you know, what would I bring back with me? And this is what I, I thought. This, this is my mind, and I'm sorry. 
I, I imagine going back to one of these great battlefields, Napoleon or, you know, the 1500s, the battles, the 30-year war, and, and I imagine having my car with me, getting in my car, driving around this battlefield, you know, waving my, you know, woo, going crazy, and imagining what the soldiers and the generals and the people would be imagining watching me drive my car around. What would they think? Whoa. This must be from the gods. A car. Wow, what is this? But to you and I, a car is just made by the Ford brothers, and it's just a, another creation which we get in and we move. But, it, but here's the point. Here's what I'm saying. As humans, we have the ability to meet so many needs. Communication needs, transportation needs, uh, food needs. And on and on and on and on it goes. We have incredible abilities. Thanks be to God. But there is a great danger in this as well. And that danger is this. We can begin to believe that we can meet every need we encounter. Just because we've been given great dominion and power and creativity, we begin to believe that we don't need anyone else but ourselves. And this is a lie from the pit of hell. Our power is always in subjection to God's power. Our creativity is always in subjection to our great Creator. So the truth about our needs is that there are needs that you and I were intended to meet, but there are needs that you and I can't meet and weren't intended to meet. Phil Biancy in his book, Prayer, writes about communistic Germany, and he says this, the city of Leipzig in East Germany had been the scene of a violent protest against communist rule in 1953, only to have it crushed by force. In four decades of violence, nothing changed behind the Iron Curtain, but in 1989, Christians meeting in a church where Johann Sebastian Bach used to play the organ began a practice of candlelight prayer marches, 10,000 then 30,000, 50,000, then a half million people joined in the marches in Leipzig and a million more in Berlin. Until finally, one night, the Berlin Wall itself, the reviled symbol of the Iron Curtain, yielded to a different kind of power, the power of prayer. And that wall splintered into a million pieces. We think we can meet some of our greatest needs, as is the case in East Germany. They thought they could fight communism fist with fist, but they had no success. So they began to pray. And in the midst of their prayer, God met those needs. So let me ask you a question. What are you trying, what needs are you trying to meet that you were not intended to meet? What are you trying to take by force that you were not intended to take by force? What are the powers that you are trying to wrestle with that you were not uh, given the strength to wrestle with? Is it a difficult marriage? Is it a, a, a faithless child? Is it a difficult job? Whatever it might be, what are you trying to wrestle with that you weren't intended to wrestle with? What can you do? Well, you can go to God in prayer. Because in God, we have someone who is capable of meeting the needs we can't meet. Let's take some time.
to learn about this God. We pray because God can meet the needs. The psalmist considers who God is by what He has done. In verse 1, if you look in your text, he says this, You have set your glory above the heavens. He continues in verse 3, When I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? Your statements such as these are easy to glance over. We even sung it today in our opening song, How Great Thou Art. I, I can't think of it, but God created the heavens and the earth. And we just kind of say it, and it goes in one ear and goes out the other. But, but David doesn't want us to glance over these statements. He is very purposeful in putting these in Psalm 8. So I want to slow down and consider the heavens and the stars and consider just how great our God is. I'm quoting extensively from Sam Storm in his book, One Thing. This is what he talks about in terms of the stars and how great and how awesome our God is. Listen to what he says. Our solar system is part of a galaxy we call the Milky Way. The Milky Way is approximately 100,000 light years in diameter. In other words, if you are somehow able to travel at the speed of light, that is 670 million miles an hour, <laughs> you were to do that as fast, that fast, it would take you 100,000 light years to cross its, 100,000 years to cross its path. Now seen from far away, the Milky Way looks like a giant pinwheel rotating slowly in space with four broad spiral arms bright with stars. Our sun, located about a quarter of the way out along one of these arms, makes a complete circuit of the galaxy every 250 million years. How many stars do you think are in our galaxy alone, the Milky Way? How many stars do you think? Well, the naked eye can see somewhere between 4,000 stars on the best of nights. But the Milky Way contains anywhere from 150 to 200 billion stars. And yet we are only one galaxy among some 150 billion others each with tens upon tens of billions of stars. There's a galaxy known as Virgo that we know contains five trillion stars all to itself. Think of it this way. If you were to take every single solitary grain of sand off of every square inch of the face of this earth, you wouldn't equal the number of stars in the galaxies of the universe. You have set your glory Above the heavens, when I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, David says. Our God created this massive and expansive universe. When we consider how incredible the heavens and the stars are and how God is the one who created these things, here's why I, I, I'm opening and expounding upon this, when we consider just how great God is and what He can do, what is the needs of your neighbor? What is the needs of your own heart? Is God not capable of meeting those needs? My friends, God is capable of meeting those needs. So we go to Him in prayer because He is great and He is mighty and He is strong. If there's anything the Chicago Cubs taught us this past fall, it's that the impossible is possible. So I want to speak to my Arkansas Razorbacks fans in here. Okay? Let's, let's have a heart-to-heart -heart here, all right? Have you given up hope that the Arkansas Razorbacks can win another national championship? Have you? There's a lot of doubt in there. 
I know there's teams like Florida State and Alabama. Those are some powerful teams. But have you given up hope? All joking aside, here's why I asked this question. What have you deemed impossible that God has deemed possible? What prayers are you not praying because you've deemed impossible to be answered and you're not praying them because of it? There is no prayer, there are no needs that God is incapable of meeting. And so I ask and pray and, ask and hope that you would consider praying prayers that you have not considered praying for some time. Would you turn to the one who can and often will meet the needs of the ones we love most dearly? There is nothing God can't do. So we pray because there are needs we can't meet. We pray because God can meet the needs we can't meet. And lastly, we pray because it is the way that God meets needs. You know, prayer is a strange thing. Like, if we were to kind of take off our religious goggles and just look at prayer for what it is. I mean, it's, it looks like a person talking to themselves. It looks silly and it looks foolish. Uh, an atheist or an agnostic or someone who's not very uh, religiously oriented might look at prayer and say, what a weak and silly thing to do. Why do you pray? What hope is there in prayer? Now we can put our religious glasses back on. Is prayer meaningless? Is prayer weak and foolish? Does prayer actually accomplish that which God uh, tells us it will accomplish? If you look at verse 2 in this psalm, I think the answer to that question is yes. David says in verse 2, Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established your strength because of your foes. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established your strength. What is David getting at? David is certainly not getting at prayer in this. What David is getting at is how God works in our midst. That God takes what is weak and insignificant and uses it to establish his strength. God always uses what is weak and insignificant to establish his strength. We, we look no further than in the death of Christ. To many, the death of Christ seemed weak and insignificant. But as Christians, we know what was weak and insignificant to many was the very thing that God uses to establish our great salvation. That we have forgiveness of sins because of Jesus' death. What is weak and insignificant is what God uses to establish His strength. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to to nothing things that are, so that no human beings might boast in the presence of God. Prayer might seem a bit foolish, weak, and insignificant, but make no mistake, God uses prayer to establish His strength. And He has taught us how to pray. Look no further than the Lord's Prayer, which we prayed just a few moments ago. One of, the own, one, of my, one of the convictions of my own heart in the course of planting this church, and I mentioned this earlier, is that I have become so self-reliant on my gifts and my abilities, and I've, I've not prayed the way that I should be praying. Uh, truth be told, I've not prayed the prayers, that, I, um, prayers that, that are impossible, like friends that I encounter that are so against the gospel 
people that don't go to church are the ones that I often like, ah, God can't answer that prayer. Um, in the course of my raising of funds, I, I come across people who say things like this. I can't give you money, but I can pray for you. And if you want to know the truth, I think, oh man, I want money, not prayer. I mean, like that's, there's the reliance of my own heart. Like, if I have money, I can plant this church because I can rely on my own gifts. But as I come across Psalm 2, I start, Psalm 8, 2, I start to realize, whoa, damn. God uses what is weak and insignificant to establish his strength. In the course of my fundraising, I come across this woman named Fran. She goes to my in-law's church. She's a sweet and dear old lady. Her husband and her were missionaries in South America. Her husband planted churches, so she knows what it's like to plant a church. And she's one of these women who always says, I don't have any money. Her husband was a Presbyterian minister. I don't have any money, but I can pray for you. And for some reason, Fran sticks out amongst all the people that say things like that because I believe her. And what I'm realizing based off of Psalm 8-2 is that I need so many more friends in my life. That God uses what is weak and insignificant to establish His strength. And so more than anything, um, Trinity Fellowship, I ask that you would pray the prayers that I ask you, you to pray for us. That we would receive the love of God and that in receiving the love of God, we would love Little Rock that we would do the things that God has called us to do. Please pray for us. Please, please continue to pray for us. Because in prayer, God establishes strength because of His foes. What are you trying to build on your own strength? What are you relying on that, God only, that only God, you, you, you can use God to rely on? Is it your kids? How are you praying for your kids? There are things that you cannot meet with your kids. You can put them in Bible school. You can put them in Christian schools. You can, you can do pray with them every night. Read the Bible every night. Yes and amen to those things. But the thing is, you have no control over their faith. Faith is a gift from God. And are you praying for your kids to receive that gift? Your husband and your wife might be, or husband or your, your wife might be stubborn. The only thing that you can, you, you can begin to pray for the repentance of their own heart, that reconciliation might come. Because prayer is the means by which God meets our needs. I've got to conclude. Augustine of Hippo is arguably one of the most influential Christian leaders in the history of the church. His writings not only shaped the church during his time, that is 400 A.D., and continued to shape the church moving on from there, but it also influenced and shaped the great reformers of the 1500s, Martin Luther and John Calvin, the very men we trace our history and our heritage. Prior to being this great Christian minister, though, Augustine was far from being a Christian. He was not godly. He was a part of a Gnostic cult, did things that would make many of us blush. He stole, he cheated, and so on and so forth. He really did whatever he wanted. So how did, how did Augustine change? Where was the power that changed such a hardened man into becoming such a godly and influential man? 
Well, we could go into details and you could read his book, The Confessions, but I think one of the things that you will see if you were to just see his life and his confessions is that he had a mother named Monica who prayed for him and prayed constantly for him. And one of the things that The Confessions does in his, as he reflects on his life is that he always looks back at his mother and her prayerfulness for Augustine. You know, it's probably more complicated than that, but because Monica was always faithful in her prayers for Augustine, Augustine looked at that and said, God used her prayers to change the most hardened person. And as a result of that, we have what we have today in Augustine. She prayed because she knew there were needs she couldn't meet. She prayed because she knew God could meet the needs. And she prayed because she knew that God uses prayer to establish his strength. Prayer is the means by which he meets needs. Behind Augustine's transformation was a mother who loved well, and she loved well because she prayed well. Love and prayer are intimately connected. You cannot love well and fail to pray. So how's your prayer life? How... How well are you loving? For many of us, we hear such a statement like that. Listen to the sermon I just preached, bound and determined to become more prayerful. And I hope that that is one of the, the reasons for that. But what is one of the ways that you can be, you become, go from prayerless to prayerful? How does that process come? Does it come through discipline and waking up early in the morning and doing that and and bound and determined that I'm going to be more prayerful? Is that how we're going to do it? We're going to take what we feel guilty about and just, ah, I'm going to do this. The answer to that is no. The only way we'll become more loving and prayerful is if we receive the love of God. The Apostle John says this, we love because He first loved us. So like Augustine, we need to to know someone who loves us well and loves us by praying for us. Like Augustine, we need a Monica, a loving mother. Brothers and sisters, know this. We do have a Monica. We have an advocate at the right hand of God in Jesus Christ. At the right hand of God, He is always praying for us. Apostle Paul says this, who is to condemn the apostle? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. And this is Romans 8.34. Who is indeed interceding for us. Right now, Christ is interceding for all of us at the right hand of God. Do you know that you have someone who's praying for you who is always loving you? If you know that, I can guarantee you, you too will become more prayerful. And when more prayerful, you will become more loving. And if more loving, you too will live. Let's pray. Jesus, you did not have to come and die for us to take wretched, prayerless, self-reliant people like us and give your life for us. 
Greater love has no other than this, that a man laid down his life for another, and you did that for us. But your love doesn't end there. Your love continues at the right hand of God where you are constantly interceding for us, even at this moment. I pray for my friends in this room, my brothers and sisters, and even those that don't know you. I pray that they would hear the loving voice that you have for them, always interceding for them. Mine, my child, my beloved. Lord, make your love grow abundantly in their hearts. Oh, and on and on and on we could pray. I pray for my friends here that they would know your love and know it deeply and intimately that they might then love their neighbor the way that you have loved them. Lord, make us more prayerful. Make us more dependent upon you that we might bring your kingdom through prayers. I don't understand why you use what is weak and insignificant to establish your strength other than it's for your glory. And I don't understand how that works. But I do pray for all of us, for this church, for Central, for other churches in this community. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to Your name be the glory forever and ever. pray this in Jesus' name.